0: So I gave it away uh, in the notes, and then Tom gave it away too. But there's a question that we often ask uh, after some major event takes place. We ask it of our high school and our college graduates. We ask it when we, uh, after we've all, uh, all hmm. we ask it after every Avengers movie. Right? They give us a little. I'll tell you what happens, and I haven't seen the next one, but we ask, what's next? What's, what's going on? We ask it of our politicians when they win or when they lose. When they go out of our office, we say, what's next? We ask it of our sports stars when they win or lose the championship game. What's next? I'm going to Disneyland. You know, that's the thing. We asked it of NASA after Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. We asked it of Steve Jobs in the past. Just a, just a few days after he would tell us what the new features on the latest iPhone is, we'd say, well, what's next? The question, what, what's next? After every major event or accomplishment, we want to know what's, what's happening next. What's the follow-up? Now, last Sunday was Easter, in case you missed it. We celebrated here together and around the world the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And without a doubt, along with His crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most major, important, greatest event in all of human history. And so today, with many of the the women away, I I thought we would put a short hold on our return to Psalm 86 and and instead ask the question and, and answer, at least in part, What's next? Following the major event of Jesus' resurrection, what came next? So, first, we'll look at Scripture and see see what came next. What happened with Jesus and his disciples immediately following the resurrection? Because, in case you didn't know, uh, when Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't immediately physically leave uh, planet Earth, he didn't go directly to heaven. Instead, he spent time with his 11 disciples, Judas had had passed on, and with others. He had a purpose in this time. In the book of Acts, the author, uh, Luke, summarizes what came next this way. He said, "In, in the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Luke began the story of Jesus in his gospel and he continues it in the book of Acts until the day when he was taken up. So there was a time when Jesus was taken up, when he physically departed from the earth. And then he summarizes what took place following the resurrection. He was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. After the resurrection, Jesus appears to the apostles, the the, the disciples, to those who had put their trust in him. For 40 days, he, he proves to them that the resurrection is true. He appears to many. I think Paul says to over 500 He also gave them commands. He told them, uh, okay, I'm I'm here for this time, but here's what you're going to do next. He he taught them about the kingdom of God. And so we're going to look at this 40-day period between the resurrection and the ascension. That's when Christ is taken up. We're going to see some of uh, what came next historically. And by doing this, I believe we can gain some insight, some some understanding in what comes next in our lives. For those, uh, like those early disciples who who put their trust in Jesus Christ, who who believe, for those who believe He died for our sins, and He rose from the dead, conquering sin and death, what are the next things that Scripture reveals we should be about? What comes next in the life of of a believer. And by what's next, I don't mean what I mean what continues to be next. The things we'll look at today are the, the things we should be doing uh, when we believe, but they're also the things we're continue to do throughout the Christian life. I think these things are the things Tom was talking about, these are the things that make the difference in our lives. In those forty days, Jesus gives foundational principles for those who trust in him. And the first and probably most important and really the most logical thing that came next following the resurrection is to worship Jesus Christ. Immediately following Jesus' crucifixion, if the disciples, if you would have came up, you would have found some of the disciples hanging out. Well, you wouldn't have found them because you know what? They were hiding. And you would have asked them the question, what's next? Their answer would not have been positive. As we saw last week, when Jesus died, his disciples surely thought it was over. They were defeated. They ran and they hid in fear. Uh, they were mourning the loss of their friend, their master, their teacher. What's next, you say? I, I, I don't know, but hopefully I'll live to find out. Maybe I can get my uh, fishing job back. But when Jesus appeared to them, when they realized it wasn't over... When they became convinced he was, he was more than, than just a teacher, more than just their master. When the things he had taught about his death and resurrection suddenly clicked in, became, came into focus, what's next became extremely clear. Matthew writes, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. When he appeared to them, demonstrating who he was, they saw his authority, his power over life and death. And they rightly worshipped him. That word worship, in our English, we get it from uh, worthship. Uh, to show someone is worthy. In the Greek, it's the, it's the word proskineo. It's where we get our English word uh, prostrate. It means to bow before in adoration and submission. Uh, to bow before in adoration, adoring, loving, and submission surrendering to say, God, I adore you. I love you for who you are and for what you've done for me. And I surrender my life to you. That's worship. Expressing your love and adoration to the one who you've surrendered your life to. And by worshiping Jesus, the disciples as good Jews, who only worshipped the one true God, were acknowledging that they believed, in fact, Jesus Christ was who He claimed to be. That He was one with the Father. That He was the great I Am. That He was God. And therefore, He was worthy of their adoration. He was worthy of their submission. The right and immediate response to Jesus Christ's resurrection is to worship Him. But some doubted. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him but some doubted, Matthew says. The most famous doubter is Thomas. You guys, man. We read of, of Thomas's post-resurrection encounter with Jesus in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So Thomas wasn't here when Jesus showed up. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, can you imagine being Thomas at that moment? Oh my goodness. Put your finger here and, and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. In mere seconds, uh, Thomas moves from being a doubter to becoming a worshiper. For Thomas, it just it is clicked into place. Jesus is there. Before Jesus' death, Thomas apparently didn't understand or believe who who Jesus really was. And then when Jesus died on the cross, any understanding he had, any hope he had, any belief he had uh, seemed to have been lost. But now Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Jesus is alive. Thomas is confronted with who Jesus really is and he believes. And what's next? He then bows in adoration and submission and declares, my Lord and my God. He rightly worships Jesus Christ. And that worship continued on. The final three verses of the Gospel of Luke are these. While he, Jesus, blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. So this is the ascension. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. They would worshipped him uh, when he was among them, and when he departed, they continued to worship him. They worshipped him with great joy in their hearts. Jesus makes a difference in our lives. When we worship him, he brings great joy in our hearts. It it really, uh, who you worship, really impacts how you live and what you do. If you worship a God, a God of love and sacrifice, It's going to say something about you. It's going to make a difference in who you are. And and they were continually in the temple blessing God. That word blessing can also be translated uh, praising. That's how the NIV, NASB, King James, they all translate it. They were continually praising God. Why? Because of the great joy God had provided for them through Jesus. Thank you, God. I praise you, God, for Jesus Christ for His death, for me, for His resurrection, that I might be resurrected as well. So the first thing that came next for the disciples following the resurrection was worship. They understood that Jesus Christ was God. And therefore, they bowed before Him, adoring and submitting their lives to Him, praising God for Him. And their lives were never the same again, as we talked about last week. They became men who turned the world upside down declaring the glory of Jesus Christ. So so what about us? Is worshiping Jesus our response to his death and resurrection? Is that what's next for us? Do we truly understand? I mean, seriously, do we understand that his death... How many of you guys sinned in the last couple days? I certainly did. Maybe in the last couple minutes. I don't know. There was a little... There was a little envy going on. I don't know. But it's Jesus' death that pays for that sin, for every sin, past, present, and future. And His resurrection, proving He's conquered death, proving He can give us eternal life, that His resurrection means He is who He claimed to be. He's God. He's my Lord. He's my God. And He deserves my worship. He deserves my expressions of love and adoration. He deserves my submission. Where'd the notes go? Okay. I don't know. Okay. Now, sometimes we think of worship only occurring on Sunday mornings, right? When we come together for worship service, right? This is, we call this the worship service. And I pray that it does, that it, worship occurs on Sunday mornings. I pray that we can express our love and adoration. We can express our submission to Christ here together in, in song. But in reality, worship is more than a Sunday morning service. Worship must be a way of life. Our daily lives must express our adoration and submission to Christ. You can sing all the worship songs you want, but if your life is not lived in worship to Christ, then you're singing, uh, your singing your so called worship is vanity it 's hypocrisy and if that 's the case for you if if, if, if as you hear god 's word this morning, a sense of conviction maybe is coming over your heart, if you know that your life is not being lived in worship, in adoration and submission to Jesus Christ, if you feel like uh, little or no love or adoration for Him, if if you have little desire to submit to Him, maybe, like Thomas, you're holding on to doubt. Then I would call upon you to reflect on the Word of God, to reflect on who Jesus is and what He's done for you. I'll ask you even now to to close your eyes and picture Jesus Christ. Picture Him on the cross, dying for your sins. Taking upon Himself the wrath of God that you deserved. And then rising from the dead, conquering your sin, conquering your death, providing for you a new eternal life. And as Thomas physically uh, experienced, picture the risen Christ standing before you. Picture yourself putting your your finger in the marks of the nails. Picture yourself placing your hand into His side. And hear Jesus' words. Do not disbelieve. Do not doubt, but believe. Lord, I pray that That you would remove all doubt. That we would truly believe in who you are. We would believe you died for our sins. You were crucified for our sins. And you rose from the dead for us. Lord, that we would behold your amazing glory. And I pray that as we see your glory, that we would be transformed. That it would make a difference in our hearts. You would change who we are. Causing that belief to become real. That you would be my Lord and my God for each and every one of us. And as we ask the question, what's next? Our our natural response from a transformed heart would be to forever, continually, on a daily basis, worship you with our lives. Amen. So the first answer, that's just the beginning, to the question, what's next, is to worship Jesus Christ And this is foundational to the rest, really. If we're not worshiping Jesus, if we're not and, and again, I'm not talking about perfection, I'm not talking about I love him perfectly, I adore Him perfectly, I submit to him perfectly. But if that's not the direction of our hearts, the direction of our lives and the rest of this stuff is not going to matter. So first, what's next? Worship Jesus Christ. And then second learn about Jesus Christ. Now, in reality, this may be the first thing we need to do. You know, maybe this, this happens in tandem with the worship. For it's when we learn about Christ that we're inspired to worship Him. And in Luke chapter 24, again, this is in between the, the crucifixion and resurrection, we find two men in need of some inspiration. Neither of these men were one of the, the 12 original disciples of jesus but they were they were his followers if you read in your new Testament, you'll find there was like a, this group of 70 followers and then uh, eventually there's this group of 120 followers and they're they're part of that group of people and as they walked on the road to emmaus jesus appears to them they don't recognize him i don't the scripture doesn't say why he asks them he comes up to them and he says so what are you guys talking about And ironically, they begin to tell him about himself, about the events of the crucifixion and the resurrection. They tell him about the crucifixion and they tell him that women, there are some women claiming that Jesus has risen from the dead. Apparently they didn't believe it themselves because in uh, the following verses, Luke 24, 25 through 27, we read in, and he, Jesus said to them, "O foolish ones. And slow to heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses. The books of Moses. the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. And all the prophets. More of the Old Testament scripture. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus says... Uh, they're foolish ones. And that word foolish means uh, foolish. Slow to heart, slow to believe. Sometimes I think Jesus is a little harsh, but who am I to say that Jesus is harsh? Because the truth had already been laid out for them in their prop. These are Jewish guys. These are guys that have been brought up in the books of Moses in the books of the prophets, in the Old Testament scriptures. Haven't you read Isaiah 53, 5, where the prophet writes, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wombs, we are healed. You should have seen this coming. Jesus then, from the Old Testament scriptures, teaches them about himself. Even though they, they already knew the Old Testament scriptures, they'd been taught them. They didn't get it. But Jesus doesn't leave them in their ignorance. He teaches them. And after Jesus leaves, they go to the the, the main disciples. They run probably and find them and tell them of their experience. At this time, Jesus hadn't. So this is maybe one of Jesus's first appearances to these guys on the road to Emmaus. He hadn't appeared to the, the 12 yet, the 11. But while these two men were talking, Jesus appears to them all. He shows them that yes, he is alive. And in Luke 24, 45, 47, we read, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And what's next? That repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. He opens their minds to understand the scriptures. What scriptures? the Old Testament Scriptures, the the law, the books of Moses, the prophets. He teaches them what the Scriptures reveal about Himself and what the disciples should do about it. He teaches them what's next. We'll talk more about what they're to do in just a few minutes. But notice that Jesus again reveals Himself to them through the Scriptures. This is so important. Jesus could have given them, He could have come to them and just open the heavens and given them this this new vision. He could have just opened their minds so that they understood without him even talking what he was saying, but instead he teaches about himself from the scriptures. I believe he did this to show them and to show us that it's the scriptures which reveal the truth about who Jesus is about what He does, about what He continues to do, and about, about what we're to do about it. He did this so we would know what was next. And what's next is to turn to the Scriptures, to learn about Jesus Christ. The Bible is the, our key for understanding Christ. And we have the same Bible uh, that Jesus used to teach his disciples with. A different translation. Plus, we have the New Testament that reveals even more about Jesus Christ. Therefore, what's next for us is clear. Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead for you. Now you need to, you must, if I can be so bold, take every opportunity To read and study and meditate on and memorize and apply His Word. That, my friends, will make a difference in your life. The Word of God is where we go to learn about Jesus Christ, to experience transformation through Jesus Christ. Attend a church. That values and preaches and teaches. Not the philosophy of men, but the word of God. Join with other believers in small groups and study not your own opinions, but the word of God. Yes, engage in debate, ask questions, discuss. But allow the word of God, not the opinions of of people, to be the authority. Read books by, by men and women who hold to the authority of Scripture who value it, and who explain it, not based on some agenda that they have, but based on the, the understanding, the context of Scripture. But maybe most importantly, take, uh, no, no, make the time to read it yourself, study it yourself, meditate, memorize it. Allow God to reveal who Jesus Christ is to you through His Word. Because the more we learn about Christ, the more we behold his glory, if I can go back to our Psalm 86 words, the more you take it in, the more you believe it, the more you apply it, the more you're inspired to worship him, the more you're inspired to adore him, the more you're inspired to submit your life to him, the more of a difference it will make in your life. So what's next so far? worshiping and learning about Jesus Christ. And then, what's the next logical step? Those who are worshiping, those who are learning, should then teach about Jesus. As worshipers of Jesus Christ, we must teach others about Him. About who He is, about it, what He's done for us, and what He's done for them. Why? Why? Certainly, that they, that they might receive him, that may, they might believe, that may, they might, like Thomas, stop doubting and believe and be saved. That he might become uh, their Lord and God, but also that they might rightly worship him. That they too might become worshipers of Jesus Christ. Think about it. Jesus is not, uh, I mean, we're a pretty small group this morning, right? Right? And and I pray that we have worshipped God here today, that we've worshipped Jesus Christ today. And He's worthy of our worship. But He is worthy of the worship of every person who's ever lived, of all humanity. And therefore, we must not just learn about Him, keeping our knowledge to ourselves. It's our responsibility as those who have believed, who have learned about Jesus, to teach others. To, to take it to the streets, if you will, to take it into our world. That's, this is the what's next, okay? This is the what's next following the resurrection that Jesus makes extremely clear to his disciples. In each of the four gospels and in the book of Acts, we find a different variation of Jesus instructing his disciples of the priority of teaching others about him. In fact, we call this what's next. We call it uh, the Great Commission. Jesus commissions His disciples. He gives them a mission. Okay, I've done this part. I've come and I've, I've lived and I've died and I've rose from the dead. Now I'm giving you a mission. This is what's next, to teach others about what I've done, to make new disciples, in Matthew 28, 19-20, we read, Go, Jesus says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptize them and teach them what you've learned from and about me. Mark sixteen, fifteen. 16, we read, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Proclaim the gospel to the whole creation, to every living being. Why? Because there are consequences. Those who believe will be saved and those who do not will be condemned. Our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ could not be clearer, and it couldn't be more important. In Luke chapter 24, 45 through 48, we've read this already. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and what's next? That repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. Following the, the resurrection, believers are to go to all the nations, teaching the message of Scripture, the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ was crucified for your sins, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He lives today, ever making intercession for you. We are called, we're to call for repentance for people to turn around, to forsake their sin, that they might be forgiven by Christ. Then in John chapter 20 verse 21, Jesus makes it, uh, make, makes it short and sweet. He said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The Father sent Jesus on a mission. It was a mission of peace, peace be with you, a mission of a reconciliation, of, 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 of enabling us to have peace with God. Sin had caused this separation, there was no peace, we were in rebellion against God, but Jesus Christ on the cross, he bridged that gap, he provides the peace treaty, he enables us to enter into relationship with God, and what's next? Jesus then sends his followers on a similar mission of peace. We're not to bridge the gap. The gap is bridged. We're to teach others the gap has been bridged by Jesus Christ. That they can be reconciled to God. That they can enter into relationship with God. That they can worship God. That they can worship Jesus Christ. As Paul would later write to the church in Corinth, therefore we are ambassadors, representatives, For Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We implore you. What's next? We need to implore people to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Finally, Acts 1.8, we read, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what's next? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We're to be witnesses from Jerusalem all the way to the ends of the earth. At Bridges, when we say our mission is to equip world changers, we have our, our mission up there, equipping world changers. This is what we mean. Our mission is to equip people with tools with the tools they need to be witnesses. To teach others about Jesus Christ. To make disciples. That's what, what's next. And that's how we change the world. That's how we make a difference in our world. Now maybe you're sitting there and going, Whoa! I don't know if I can do that. I mean, I said, Make disciples to the ends of the earth. Be world changers. These are, these are big things. I don't feel like I'm up to that task. I don't feel like I can do that mission. Maybe you don't think you're called to teach others about Jesus or about anything. Maybe you think, I'm okay worshiping Jesus and learning about Jesus, but, but this, what ne- this what's next uh, isn't my cup of tea. Well, let me, let me first be clear. There are different kinds of teaching you may not teach in a, a group setting, in a church, in a Sunday school, even in a small group. Also, you may not be uh, called to a different culture, although some of us must be called, right? I thank God for those who have been called. But there's a kind of teaching that we all must participate in. Maybe teaching is is like we get this, you know, this teacher up before with the whiteboard or Overhead projector, or whatever. That's what's in our mind. Well, let me say there's different kinds of teaching. We all must teach people. We all must teach the people that God places in our lives. We must teach our friends and our family, our, our neighbors, our coworkers. And by teach, I don't mean we, we have to give them a, a, a formal lesson I just mean you teach them, you tell them what you know about Jesus Christ. And you live a life that reflects that you've been transformed by Jesus Christ. You are witnesses to who Jesus is and to what he's done for you and for them. So that's the kind of teaching that all of us are called to do next. We're called to be part of the Great Commission in in different ways. We each all have a role to play. We're all part of the body of Christ. And maybe even now you don't feel up to that. I can't do that. Well, I think our fourth and final point will help. What's next after the resurrection? Receive from Jesus Christ. Receive from Jesus Christ. There's an erroneous uh, teaching that goes something like this. Jesus has done so much for us. He left heaven and became uh, one of us, born in a stable. He lived a sinless life as a human. And then he became the ultimate sacrifice. He gave his life as an atonement, as a sacrifice for our sins. He was beaten and bloodied. He was mocked and ridiculed. He was nailed to a cross for our sins. The wrath of God came upon Him because of us. He died on the cross, was placed in a tomb, and He rose from the dead. In so doing, He defeated for all time Satan and sin and death. He's released us from our chains, our, 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 our slavery to sin, and He's opened the door to relationship with God. Now, that's not the erroneous part of the teaching. That's all true. Here comes the error we make. Therefore, since Jesus has done so much for us, what's next is we must repay him with our, with our worship, with our obedience, and with our service. Just to be clear, the error isn't that we must obey, serve, and worship. The error is that we should attempt to repay Jesus Christ for what he's done for us. God doesn't ask for any repayment. In fact, we have no ability to repay Him. Everything that that we accomplish, everything that we anything and everything that we accomplish in the Christian life is because of God's grace at work in our in our lives, His unmerited favor, His free gift to us, and His amazing power working in and through us, the power. That we see demonstrated in the resurrection. There would be no what's next. For any of us without God's grace. And God's power. It's by God's grace. By God's power that we believe. That we even believe. That we're saved. And it continues to be by God's grace. And God's power that we worship him. And love him. And adore him. And submit to him. That we learn about Jesus Christ. It's by God's grace and power that we teach others about Jesus Christ. It's by God's grace and power that we obey Him and serve Him and love God and love others. Therefore, to grow in and to accomplish anything in our Christian life, we must receive God's grace and God's power. And thanks be to God, that's what's next. Following the resurrection... Just prior to his ascension in Matthew twenty-eight at the Great Commission. We read this, but I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't mention it then, verse twenty. And behold, Jesus says, I am with you always, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That, that's 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 all the way. That's as far as it goes. The end of the age. You and I will never be alone in our christian life jesus promises that that as we this is in the context of that thing that we have trouble doing making disciples in that context jesus says i am with you always it's not uh, just about you doing this on your own i am with you i will be leading and guiding and directing and empowering you i'll be giving you the words to speak I'll be working in the hearts and minds of those that you're speaking to. What's next? Jesus Christ will be with you forever. And he promised to give you the the gift of the Holy Spirit. Luke 24, 49, the resurrected Jesus says, and behold, what's next? I'm adding these what's next. They're not really in the Bible. It's because it's the title of the sermon and I'm trying to make it all relevant. Okay. Okay. What's next? I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. To his followers, he promised the gift of of what the Father had promised, and that's the Holy Spirit. He promised that that once once he physically leaves the earth, he's going to send the Holy Spirit to indwell our lives. He's going to give us power from on high. And the purpose of this power... He described in Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Why? That you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power from God when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When you receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. And we receive, each and every one of us receive that gift. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit, Paul says in Ephesians, when we believe. And the Holy Spirit comes to, to, to empower us, to accomplish uh, the mission that Christ has given us. To overcome sin, to work in our hearts, to give us the fruit of the Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. That's a difference. He gives us the power to overcome the sin, to grow in our lives, and he matures us into people who can be witnesses for Jesus Christ, that you might go and make disciples to the ends of the earth. The mission here in Riverside and to the ends of the earth will only be accomplished when we receive from Jesus Christ. It's not about us figuring out how to pay Jesus back. It's about us receiving what he has to offer us when we give, when He gives us uh, the person and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, then and only then will you receive God's grace and power in this life. Then and only then will you be able to accomplish what He's called us to do. Then and only then can we do what's next. So we've seen wh- what, was the, the, what was next for those first disciples who trusted in Jesus Christ. Following the resurrection... They worshiped Jesus Christ, bowing and living before him in adoration and submission. They learned about Jesus Christ. They saw how the word of God, the scriptures revealed who he is and what he does. They taught about Jesus Christ. They took the message of the gospel and and taught it far and wide. And they received from Jesus Christ. Jesus was with them, and Jesus gave them the Holy Spirit, which empowered them to teach the gospel and to live the Christian life. So that was what was next for those early disciples. And that continues to be what's next for us, uh, us contemporary disciples of Jesus Christ. And the question I want to leave us with this morning is this. Was there an area, as as we walk through Some of those things, and this was a huge summary, you know. This is 40 days, and and all four Gospels record different things going on. I have to admit, I picked and chose what I wanted. I would encourage you to go back and maybe uh, dwell on those things a little more. But was there an area, as we talked about uh, uh, the things that are next, that brought conviction to your heart? An area that, that should be next in your life, but, but it's not. Do you need to begin to truly worship Jesus Christ? Do you, need to, do you need to really adore Him? Submit to Him? Do you need to learn more about Jesus? Spending more time in God's Word, not to mention uh, spending time in prayer based on the Word of God. Entering into relationship with Jesus Christ through His Word and through prayer. Do you need to teach more about Jesus Christ? Are there people in your life? I dare say there are, who need to know of the love and forgiveness and grace and mercy of Christ. Do you need to receive uh, grace and power from Jesus Christ? If you've trusted in him, he's with you. He's promised to be with you and he's given you the Holy Spirit. But maybe you need to submit to the Spirit's work in your life. Maybe you're resisting the Spirit. You need to be filled again with the Spirit of God. If you have a need in in any of those areas, a need for deeper worship, a need for consistent learning, a need for boldness in teaching, and a need for willingness to receive from Jesus Christ, or, or maybe you have another need. Maybe you're going, whoa, I'm not, you know... I'm having trouble paying the rent. I'm dealing with this thing. I'm struggling here. This is maybe a little much for me. I don't think it is, but maybe you're struggling and and it's not getting through. Whatever your situation is, whatever your need is, let me suggest what's next right now. If you're struggling to move forward in any of these areas, then, then then I'd ask you to join me in prayer. You know, we've been, in Psalm 86, we've been preaching, talking about prayer. I didn't throw it in here. It it belongs in here. But I, I hope we've got some of that already. But What's next for us is just turning to God. Coming to God in prayer. Pray with me as I conclude this message. For it's only through the transforming work of God in our lives. I wish there was a, well, I don't know if I wish it, but... It's easier to preach if there was like, okay, here is the here is checklist to do so you can be changed. The checklist is go to God. Call upon Him. Ask Him to work in your heart. It's only through the transforming work of God in our lives that we'll ever truly engage in any of these things that we've talked about this morning. Any of the what's next following the, the resurrection. So I'm going to pray in just a minute. And then following the service, maybe you're, one of these things spoke to you or something else. There's a need. I just like to offer. Uh, see, because, because part of this what's next is we do it together as a body of Christ. And so I'd like to just offer to pray for you. Myself, there are others in the church that are, would love to pray with you on an individual basis. Elders, prayer team. We'll be will be will be around after the service. And so you, if you'd like to receive a prayer, receive prayer. We put it up on the board, uh, but I don't know if anybody reads it. But that we have you can receive prayer any Sunday. But today I'm just going to make a special uh, call. If you'd like prayer. If you'd like prayer to move forward in the what's next that Jesus talks about again or or anything, then then I would say, come and just sit in some of these. This first row, nobody ever sits here. The kids sit here and then they leave. So it leaves it open for us to come. And and there'll be somebody that'll come and pray with you, pray for you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. And I pray for us. I pray that we would be uh, based on who you are, based on your, your death for us, based on your resurrection, Lord, that we would be people who worship you, Lord, that we would be people who learn about you, not for the sake of learning only, but for the sake of transformation of our own lives and for the sake of teaching others the truth of who you are and what you offer them, the new life, the abundant life, the changed life that you can bring. Lord, I pray that we would be people of those things. And Lord, I pray maybe most of all that we would today, this morning, we would receive from you. Lord, we, we have nothing really to give without you. So I pray you would come into our lives. Lord, thank you that you've promised to be with us. And I pray you would renew us with the power of your spirit. You would fill us with your spirit that we might go from this place doing the things that are next, the things you've called us to in Christ's name. Amen.